Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm looking forward to this hour because philosopher and theologian Ken Samples will be joining me for the full hour. We're going to talk about the soul, so it's going to be a wonderful hour. I always want you to know you're welcome at any time to ask a question or any clarifying comment because that's the kind of show this is. 877-933-2484. We'll always do my best to answer any uh, question that comes in, or if Ken is saying something you need to hear more of, let me know. We can work that out. Ken has a great passion to help people understand the, the reasonableness and the relevance of Christianity's truth claims, and he does it so well. He's the senior research, research scholar at Reasons to Believe and the author of several books, including Classic Christian Thinkers, Seven Truths That Changed the World, and God Among Sages. He's with me today. Ken, welcome. It's good to be with you, Bill. Thanks. Not Boy, the, the years is going by. Not that you care, because you're in California. So, <laughs> <laughs> but here in Minnesota, we care. In the Midwest, we care a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited about this time with you today. I always look forward to it. But today, this topic is really got my my uh, my peak interest. I talk about the Christian perspectives on the soul. Yeah. Um, so maybe we should start off with just defining it. What is the historic, how does historic Christianity describe or define the soul? Yeah, um, I would say that the historic position is that the soul represents kind of the immaterial, non-physical part of you. Um, we could talk about the, the essence of the human being is is in the soul, Um you could even say that the the human self is 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 the true the soul is the true self, and so uh, Christians have always believed that. Uh, well, I I should qualify that. The historic Christian view is that we're a union of the soul and the body, and the body is physical and material. The soul is immaterial and non-physical. Okay, I like that so far. Um, I've, I think most people can always use a brush up on trying to figure out where it all fits in. We I, we always think of ourselves as body, mind, and soul. Yep. So maybe we can take it a little further, Ken, and try to make a connection between uh, the image of God and yep. the soul. Yeah, very good. Uh, the image of God, uh, Scripture says that all human beings, uh, male, female, uh, all human beings are made in the image of God. Christians sometimes disagree a little bit about what really is that image. Is it, uh, is it you know, that we have qualities or capacities in which we resemble God? You know, we're moral beings, we're uh, rational beings, we uh, are spiritual beings. But if you think about Scripture, uh, Genesis 
chapter 2, verse 7, God takes the dust of the ground and the breath of life, and we become living beings. And, uh, and, and so there are Christians who look at human beings as, uh, as, as body, uh, soul, and spirit sometimes. Uh, others, like myself, would say that I'm a dichotomous. That is, I believe that we're body and soul. And, and part of the reason I hold that view is that I think if you look through Scripture very carefully, soul and spirit are used interchangeably. Now, you know, even Jesus himself talks about um, the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about, you know, heart, mind, soul. Part of the problem, though, there is I don't think Jesus is chopping us into parts. He's using, even though we get it in Greek, we're getting some Hebrew parallelism where um, Jesus is really saying, love God with everything that you are. So, uh Again, this idea of the soul is very important. Now, many non-Christians deny the existence of the soul. There are some Christians who are critical of the way some people describe the soul. They kind of feel like maybe it's it's kind of Greek, the way Plato would talk about an immortal soul. But classically, uh, Christians have affirmed the existence of the soul, and that, of course, opens up all kinds of fields of philosophy, even psychology. I mean, even the idea of counseling somebody is the idea that there is an inner you, just like there's an outer you, there's an inner you. And sometimes the inner you, uh, you know, can be more important than the outer you. Mm-hmm. This is interesting, Ken. I've got tons of questions uh, racing through my head, and I've already got a listener asking, when does soul enter the body? Because when I think of what we read about in Scripture, that that uh, God ordained all of our days before we even had one of them. So yeah. do we have this, uh, does he have this? these souls stored in heaven? And then does it get uh, placed into the body? Does it enter the body at a certain time, conception, first breath? When does it happen? Yeah, this is this is a great question, and it and it's a little bit controversial because again, not all Christians affirm this. Uh, I think it would be fair to say that Scripture is not explicit about the origin of the soul or how the soul is uh, united with the body. There are two basic views. One of them is just creation, which would imply the idea that every time a child is conceived, God creates might call a fresh soul and uh, unites the soul with the body at, at, at conception. Uh, a second view, which is an interesting one and kind of provocative, uh, it's called traducianism. And Augustine, St. Augustine, one of my favorite Christian thinkers, uh, born in the 4th, died in the 5th century, uh, Augustine said that maybe uh, just as just as your mother and father have the capacity to produce the body of their children, Augustine proposed the idea that maybe God has created us in such a way as that parents pass on the soul to their children. Now, now again, that's a bit controversial, and largely because Scripture isn't explicit about it, but the idea would be that maybe this accounts for the fact that uh, there are certain certain traits or qualities, even spiritual um, 
traits that run in families. And so two views, creation, then soul and body are united by the Lord, or the Lord is, has wired us in such a way that we pass on not only our body, our genes, our DNA, but, but the soul comes from the parents. Hmm. All right, I've got uh, a lot of thoughts racing through my head right now. So um, That's a good thing. Oh, it, I think it, that's a good thing. It is a good thing, but I have to process them quickly because I'm, <laughs> I'm in a live radio show, of which I am host. That's uh, right. I'm, I'm sorry to do that to you. <laughs> so, that's okay. Um, I'm just trying to... Let, let's try to make biblical um, sense of body, mind, heart, soul, and spirit. Maybe if we can yeah. just put these all on the table. Yeah. Because I'm getting some uh, messages from listeners, too. So uh, maybe we can just start there. Or maybe I'll take a break now. I'll take an early break. Okay. And then when we come back, we can lay all these out on the table. All right? Very good. Okay, good. Uh, Ken Samples is my guest. We're talking about the soul. We're going to uh, take your comments or questions, 877 933 2484 again 877 faith be right back listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. When I was young, it seemed that life was so wonderful. A miracle. Oh, it was beautiful, magical. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Ken Samples as my guest. He's a philosopher and a theologian, so he's uh, double trouble. Um, you are, Ken. So you always, you, always, you always get me in places I'm trying to figure out how to ask good questions, because you go deep with me, and then I, I, I panic and I go to break early so I can think. <laughs> this is what you do to me. All right. Let's uh, get back to uh, how we can make sense of the, let's say, the biblical anthropology of body, mind, heart, soul, and spirit. Yep. Yeah, now let's let's think about these. I mean, uh, Scripture talks about the heart, uh, the Greek word cardia, mm-hmm. talks about the mind, it talks about the soul, the body, the strength. Now, again, uh, some people, some Christians, some Christian theologians, they think about the, the Christian anthropology as being made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And... Uh, the dichotomists come along and say, mm, not not sure I buy that. Dichotomy is body and soul. Now, now the challenge is, or I think trichotomy, that it's sometimes it's not just body, soul, and spirit. Even with Jesus, you know, heart, mind, soul, body, strength. Sometimes it's five things. Sometimes it's six things. I don't think the best way of understanding those passages is again were multi-parts. I think Jesus is, is using a metaphor that he wants us to love him with all that we are. And so I would, I think the, the, the best way of understanding it is in terms of dichotomy. Heart, mind, soul, and spirit in some ways are interchangeable. I mean, our mind is the inner us. Um, 
the heart, at the core of our being, soul, spirit. Uh, again, I would propose the idea that if you look at the breadth of the of the Bible, both Old and New Testament, uh, body and soul are used interchangeably, and so. Uh, many Christians, uh, and I would be one of them, would suggest that really the Christian anthropology is is the immaterial, uh, non-physical part, call it soul, call it spirit, call it heart, um, and then there is the body, the physical, material, the brain. Um, and again, uh, it, it, I'm not I'm not desiring to exclude one position because there are Christians who. Uh, have adopted trichotomy over dichotomy, but I'm trying to trying to make sense of it in a way that I think we can we can understand Scripture and and reason through it. Mm-hmm. A listener jumped in with John chapter three. Jesus said clearly, "There is flesh and spirit." The Lord does not appear to be a trialist regarding man. Yeah, I think I think that. Uh, you know, I think if you look at all of these passages, um, again, I think I think the best way of understanding it is that we're a union of body and soul. We're a union of the material and the immaterial. We're a union of the physical and the non-physical. And uh, I think that was Jesus's view. And I think when Jesus said, you know, love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, again, he wasn't he wasn't making us multi-parts. He was really conveying to us, love him with everything. Love him with, with your intellectual capacities, your mind. Love him in, with your heart at the core of who you are. Love God and honor God with the strength and the abilities you have. And, and love the Lord with your, with your body. I, I think that makes sense of both the Jewishness as well as the New Testament perspective. Mm-hmm. Ken, I thought I heard that in the Greek, the word kardea could be interpreted one way as the decision-making center of who you are. So if I heard it this way, love the Lord your God with the way you make decisions, that would be a way of saying, I'm going to obey God with my uh, choices. I'm going to honor him and bring him glory with the decisions I make. Yeah, I think that does make sense. I mean, um, I, I think when we use the word heart or we use mind, uh, again, I think both convey the idea of the inner you. I think they both, uh, so, so again, the, the non-physical immaterial side, uh, cardia sometimes would convey the idea that this is not merely a an intellectual thought process, but this is something kind of intuitive, something even deeper, if you will. But, but again, I think all of those are are really metaphors for that that inner part of you, and that and that inner part of you is is uh, not you know just just something. Uh, it, it's it's really really at the core of you. Mm-hmm. Ken, what is mind body dualism? Yeah, this now this gets us into a little bit of philosophy and it and it gets us into kind of worldview thinking kind of apologetics if you will i think it's fair to say that the bible teaches a basic mind body dualism now now what i want to qualify that because there have been philosophers through the years uh, like rene descartes the uh 18th century um french philosopher he was a roman catholic 
he had kind of a mind-body dualism, but I, I don't mean that Cartesian view. What I mean when I say I think the Bible teaches a basic mind-body dualism is, is, again, this idea that going to Genesis 2, verse 7, God takes the dust of the ground and breathes into us the breath of life, and we become living beings. So, again, there is a unity uh, of that soul or that spirit or that inner you with your body, and they are together. Now, now, Scripture, I think, indicates, and, and again, I, I'm trying not to be too dogmatic, because uh, not all of these things are explicitly spelled out in, 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 in Scripture, and therefore Christians have had differing ideas. But uh, I think the majority position among Christians is that at our death, our soul and body will be separated and our soul will go into the presence of God and will be aware of Christ, will be in Christ's presence, uh, will be conscious to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But that's not our final state. The final state is God will resurrect our bodies and reunite us with our soul or spirit. And so God has always intended for us to be enfleshed spirits or enfleshed souls. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, the great Catholic philosopher, even said during the intermediate state, when we're with God, merely with our souls and absent from our body, we're not fully human. It's only at the, the resurrection. So this idea of body and soul means that we're not just brains. Now, many atheists would propose, for example, that Maybe we evolve purely by natural processes, and the brain reached a level of complexity, and then the mind emerged. But in that, in that kind of secular, uh, that's called epiphenomenalism in philosophy, that kind of secular atheistic view of the, the brain and mind, the, uh, the brain causes the mind. So when the brain dies, the mind dies forever. Now, we don't believe that. Uh, 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 and again, I want to qualify it. There are some Christian thinkers who believe that we are kind of animated bodies. But again, I think the the consensus position is, no, our soul continues to exist even when our body is dead. And then it will await the resurrection. So that's kind of body-soul dualism, trying to explain both the outer you and the inner you. Mm-hmm. So where do souls come from? Yeah, this, this again gets us back to that kind of interesting uh, discussion. I mean, it, 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 uh, David in uh, Psalm 51 says, uh, I think about original sin, he says, I was conceived in iniquity. Uh, so I, I think David there is kind of getting back that sin was present right as a person was conceived. He later says that I came from my mother's womb speaking lies, which is, a, again, a very powerful point about how deep sin runs in the constitution of the human being. But again, two views. Uh, it could be that God creates fresh souls and unites them with the body at conception. And Psalm 139 seems to indicate that God is, in, he knows us at the earliest point of our, our being, or our existence. 
But other Christian thinkers uh, have suggested that maybe God created Adam and Eve in such a way that they not only passed on their physical traits, they passed on their soulish traits. And of course, one reason this Traducian position, again, the idea that that parents pass on their soul to their children, this would be an explanation of of how sin comes along, how the sin nature is passed on from one generation to the other. Now, can I say that one position is true to the exclusion of the other? No, I can't. Uh, I can only tell you that uh, these are kind of the thoughts and reflections that Christians have had about the soul. Mm -hmm. So what are the traits of the soul? What's packed in there? What's the DNA of the soul? So your mind, does your mind travel with the soul? Yeah, I I think that uh, I think, again, maybe uh, a more coherent way, more maybe of a more systematic way of thinking about it is that that the soul is the inner you. The soul would, would involve the mind. The, the soul would involve the spirit. Uh, now, now, again, using these words, we almost immediately want to, uh, you know, isolate them. And so we have soul and we have spirit and we have mind and we have heart. But again, the, the problem with this is I, I think they're used interchangeably. Um, often when heart is used, it, it's the expression, again, of the inner you. And so I would say the soul is that non-physical part of you. It is, it is that part of the breath of life. It is that part of the, of the image of God that, that, again, is united uniquely with the body. Mm-hmm. Ken, I find it kind of interesting. People get a little pedestrian with the the word soul. I hear it, you know, where someone will say, oh, I, I met someone and uh, uh, he's really an old soul. And I always think, yeah. well, what does that mean? What, what, do you have any idea what they're trying to get to? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, you, even in music, you have people who uh, talk about soul music. <laughs> uh, you know, I I I think... Maybe the challenge in all of that, Bill, is uh, I, I think we have a sense of the inner person. I think we have uh, a concept of of the essence of of being, the the true part of our being. But uh, again, how to how to define it? And, and sometimes these words are used metaphorically. Sure. They're they're back and forth, and so. Um, I think it's I think it's a fair reading of scripture that soul and spirit are used interchangeably and 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 again uh it would be nice if uh, the apostle Paul or one of the old testament authors had kind of spelled out all of this yeah. but um I you know there's there's a, a limited amount of data We'll take a little break. Let me know what your questions are. If you've heard Ken say something you'd like clarification on, I bet he'll do that for you. Or if you have a question you'd like to uh, send my way, 877-933-2484. Philosopher and theologian Ken Samples is my guest from Reasons.org. We'll be right back.
You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome back to the show. Ken Samples is my guest. He's a philosopher and theologian. He um, is at reasons.org, senior research scholar there. He's written a number of books. One is Classic Christian Thinkers. Another one is called Seven Truths That Changed the World and God Among Sages. Every time I have Ken on the program, I always drive home in silence. 25-minute <laughs> drive home, dead silence, because i got to be thinking about stuff. You've already got me thinking about something you said earlier, Ken, and that was the idea of that maybe there's a mix between mom and dad that goes into the creation of the soul. And I'm thinking, isn't that a specific gift that comes directly from God into a solo person? Uh, So I was just thinking about that, and I was kicking the tires on that one a little bit. Yeah, you know, I I think these are um, these are topics that that would be good to spend time reflecting upon. And and again, what you have in Christian history is you have some of these really terrific Christian thinkers who have who've reflected about these things and and gone back and forth over these kinds of things. And you know, when I I have uh, uh, my parents had me and I. I think about my relationship to my parents, my brothers and sisters, what, what traits and qualities we had, how I'm like my mother and other ways like my father. And then uh, the Lord has blessed me with children. My wife and I, we, you know, we think about our kids and sometimes we'll talk and, you know, and say, well, my daughter Jacqueline, you know, I think she's more like you in this way and maybe more like me in the other way. Um, again, I, I think that these I think, Bill, that it really is Christianity, but of course, Christianity building on the Jewishness of the Old Testament that really gives birth to such fields like psychology and philosophy, because in both of those fields, there is kind of the inner you, the, you know, the thinker inside, the philosopher, and then in terms of psychology, how the inner parts of you affect your kind of outward behavior and and so some of the great thinkers that developed both philosophy and theology many of them were committed christians mhm let me ask you this ken a listener chimed in with this would you have ken comment on hebrews 4:12 and of course that verse is the word of god is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a great good question. Um, I, I think that maybe the best way to understand what the author of Hebrews was saying, and again, we don't know who the author of Hebrews was. Probably wasn't Paul, uh, but it could have been one of the one of the other uh, early Christian thinkers. Um, I think what is being conveyed in the passage is that. This idea of soul and spirit is not something that is easily divided. It really kind of, it is something that uses interchangeably. And I, I think the author of Hebrews is, is really, really conveying the idea that these things are, are uh, they're connected and they're not easily divided into two. Mm-hmm. Ken, I know we mentioned this before the break, but I kind of want to get back to it just because I think this is a big topic. The whole idea of 
what happens uh, to our body and soul when we take our last breath. Yeah, I think that this has uh, many implications, Bill. It, it, you know, it's going to it's going to play out for all of us uh, because we're all going to die. It's not if, it's when. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the COVID nineteen has illustrated how quickly um, uh, a person's life could come to an end. Um, again, from a from a from a naturalistic, atheistic, secular point of view, we're just an animated body. There's no soul. Uh, there's no God. There's no life after death. And so, when your body dies you're extinct. Your mind is extinct forever. From a biblical point of view, uh, Paul says, uh, here, let me let me read a couple of these passages. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, he says, therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're also away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I think uh, away from the body is, again, our soul with the Lord. Philippians one twenty one, Paul says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is uh, better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. This seems to me to convey the idea that Paul believed in a uh, in a basic body soul uh, unity, mm-hmm. um, and and therefore this is very different than the way other anthropologies. I I think Christian. I think one good reason for believing Christianity is true, is I think Christianity has a has good explanatory power about human beings. Um, in in one case, why we are as Pascal called us, great and wretched. Why, why can we do mathematics and logic and technology? We have all of these remarkable abilities, and yet we're fallen. Um, I don't think you need the devil to explain Auschwitz. Right. Humans can be terrible. So, I, you know, evolution, I don't think evolution, um, I don't think it explains the goodness nor our worst elements. And I don't think the other religions do either. And so one of the reasons I'm a Christian is when I look in the mirror, Christianity pegs me. Say more about that. Well, um, I I think that it's, you know, I don't think you, I don't think it takes very long to be around people to recognize that we're broken, mm-hmm. that we are fallen. Uh, even even our heroes, you know, there's the old statement, be careful about meeting your heroes. They all have feet of clay. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think of myself, when I have times of reflection, I realize I have times narcissistic tendencies, selfishness. Uh, sometimes it's hard for me to break out of it and not think about myself. Um and when I look at issues like envy and um, pride, these, you know, I, I was talking with a Muslim online just a couple weeks ago, and he said, uh, he said the idea of the fall was taught by Paul the Apostle, but it was false. And Muslims don't believe in a fallen nature. They don't believe in a radical fall. So I said, well, why don't you then, why don't you just stop envying or, or lying or lusting if if you don't have a sin nature, then knock it off. Well, good luck. Um, that's part of that that inner struggle. And I, 
again, I I think uh, I think any religion or philosophy that can illuminate the human condition, it's it. That worldview then is, has a lot of plausibility as to being true. Mm-hmm. Ken, how will humans be constituted in eternity? Yeah, this is, I think, a, a really uh, provocative topic. Um, I think Scripture indicates that uh, just as Jesus had a resurrected body, mm-hmm. and I mean, they could see his body. Uh, and it was the same body, but it was also different. There was both continuity with his prior resurrection body, and there was discontinuity. I think that will be true of us. We will we will have our souls or spirits, the inner us, it will be enfleshed for all eternity. And I think Scripture is also clear that when we see Jesus, he will have his human nature— uh, joined with his divine nature for all eternity. And so God likes bodies, and bodies are good things. Um, and there is that, again, that that unity of the two. Mm-hmm. Doesn't St. Augustine have an, an analogy for the soul that is worth talking about? He does. Uh, in fact, I wrote an article uh, taking the the title... I have an article on my blog page called "My Soul is Like a House," and let me let me read to you what what Augustine says in his his remarkable work, Confessions. One of the one of the interesting features of that bill is he writes as it's a prayer to God. So he's writing, talking to God, not not all that different than some in the Old Testament. But here's the quotation from the Confessions. He says, "My soul is like a house, small for you to enter." Again, he's talking to God. But I pray you to enlarge it. It is in ruins, but I ask you to remake it. It contains much that you will not be pleased to see. This I know and do not hide, but who is to rid it of these things? So small, uh, meaning that it's kind of impoverished. And yet the whole the Lord is going to renovate it. He's going to He's going to make it grow and be robust. And Augustine says, you know, there are things in there, furniture in there, if you will, to use a metaphor in the living room, you're not going to like. But who is it that's going to change my soul? And of course, I think that's a rhetorical question. It's the Lord. Uh, the Lord accepts us where we are, but he never allows us to stay there. And and I think another powerful point here, Bill, is the Holy, the Scripture is very clear that the Holy Spirit indwells our body. It is united with our spirit. Uh, the spirit of God is united with our spirit. And and again, you know, I've been around people uh, who were very depressed. I've I've known people that had despaired, and I always tried to convey the idea that even if you can't see God, God is with you. God is in you. And um, uh, so that's that's. Augustine's metaphor. It's, he's telling us a story. Think of the soul like a house. Sometimes you need some house cleaning. I like that. It seems that there would be a large number of non-believers that would connect to the idea of a soul, yet they still push against having a personal relationship with Christ. 
I think you're right. I mean, uh, let's take the first part of that, people connecting to the idea of the soul. Mm -hmm. Again, I think this idea of the inner you makes sense to a lot of people, and of course it makes sense to people in Eastern religions, where they believe that maybe you're more spirit than you are body. Um, and, And yet, you know, to come to God, you can't come to God on your terms. You have to come to him on your terms, and to come to God means that you need to be humble. You need to consider that maybe your soul is in ruins. Maybe you have broken the commands of God. Uh, but, but again, I think some of the most provocative thinkers, even secular thinkers, come in the field of you know psychology. I mean, I mean, think about how much influence some of the secular thinkers have had about the human condition. And a lot of times it's a movement away from the Christian worldview, but they still talk a lot about the inner you. I mean, you know, you talk with a counselor, you talk with a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I mean, they, with the psychiatrist, they might prescribe medication, but they may also talk about, you know, inner issues that are unresolved within you. I would simply stop at that point and say, wow, this sounds very biblical, sounds very Christian to me, that we're a union of body and soul. You can't ignore either one. So interesting. Ken, let me take a little break, and I'll try to generate some more questions for you Uh, during the break. I'll hopefully not panic too much. Ken Samples is my guest. He's a theologian and philosopher. If you have a question, let me know. I'll ask on your behalf, 877-933-2484, 877-93-FAITH. Be right back. Listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. So glad to have Ken Samples with me today. He's a philosopher and theologian at Reasons.org, author of several books, Clashing Christian Thinkers, Seven Truths That Changed the World, and A God Among Sages. All right, Ken, let's maybe talk about uh, sin and how sin is a going to be affecting your soul. So if you're born with a sin condition, is your soul condemned until you're regenerated? Is your body, your mind, the whole thing, the whole thing's condemned, huh? Until you're born again. I think that scripture does indicate, and I, again, the apostle Paul, a key author here uh, in the book of Romans, seems to talk about sin, not as a, not as if it is merely individual violations of moral principles, like, you know, oftentimes it's breaking the commandments. But I I think it's also clear that Paul in Romans 5 talks about a sin nature. And uh, the idea of original sin would mean that Adam and Eve, they their sin natures, they broke the commandments of God, uh, that that nature has somehow been passed on to us. Now, uh, again, David uh, who knew something about sin, talked, uh, says in Psalm 51 that we're conceived in iniquity. So it, it seems that sin is right at the core of who we are. It, it's present uh, as, we, as we become 
human beings. And I think that um, this, again, has a, a lot of explanatory power. It could then mean that maybe the origin of the soul could have kind of a tradition component to it. And, and, and again, that would be that Adam and Eve are not only passing on our physical, our DNA, our chromosomes, but their spirit nature is then passed on to us, that fallen nature. And of course, uh, Scripture indicates that fallen people, uh, their, their, uh, you know, their basic position is to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And so uh, God's Spirit has to reach out to us, and th- therefore we talk about a new birth. We, scripture talks about both being dead in sin, but then in, alive in Christ. And so I think when it says that we are spiritually dead, it's a metaphor. It doesn't mean there is a, a deadness in the core of our non-physical side. It means that we are bro- broken, fallen, alienated, uh, and yet Scripture does use the, the, the Spirit brings us to life and gives us gives us the new birth, uh, and so death and life. So talk a little, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the sin aspect of, of, of affecting the soul, because even though we're born again, if we are born again and, and we've been moved from death to life, and yet we still have a ability to, to sin, and if we choose to do so, uh, what does that do to our soul? Yeah, that, that's a, it's a provocative topic. I, I think Scripture indicates that uh, even after we are born again, after we come to know the Lord, we still have disordered lives. We have patterns, not only of behavior, but, but patterns within who we are. And uh, those patterns have to be broken. Um, I, I again, I would propose that the fact that Christians still sin, the fact that Christians struggle with hypocrisy, that they need regular confession and repentance, and this this battle, if you will, I, I think that that is an indication, Bill, how deep sin is, uh, and and therefore I think that. We could think of our soul as being tarnished. Um, sometimes theologians say that this, the image of God has been effaced, but not erased. Mm. And so there is that both of those components. We still are made in the image of God, and yet uh, that image has been beat up. Mm-hmm. Can Where do personalities fit into this idea of soul? I go back to the garden. I go, well, Adam and Eve, they didn't have any family around them. It was just the two of them. What what kind of personalities did they have? And we will find find out, I suppose, in heaven, but Well, you know, one way of uh one way of thinking about it and and um I I wonder if we could use kind of personalities a little bit metaphorically. I mean, you know, we, we people people sometimes designate themselves, uh, you know, they take these psychological tests, and we did it at Reasons to Believe, you know, what are your strengths and these kinds of things, and they kind of identify you as, well, you're you're an introvert or you're kind of an extreme introvert or extrovert or somewhere in the middle. I mean, what if, what if our souls were to be thought of as something like personalities, where 
we have common ground, but maybe maybe part of our identity, maybe our soulishness, is you know gives gives certain characteristics that that people have, and uh, so I'm there kind of using it metaphorically now. Again, a good bit of this is speculation. I hope it's educated speculation. I hope we're always looking at Scripture and, you know, kind of weighing and evaluating these kinds of things. But it does seem that certain people approach their spirituality or approach their religiosity in kind of distinctive ways. And so I wonder, just like we have, just like our psyche or our mind has certain qualities, could it be that our our spirituality is reflected in that way. Mm-hmm. Another listener asks, what happens to the souls of non-believers? Yeah, this is, uh, and, and so we live in the present state, and then there will be the intermediate state. So after death, but before the final judgment, before the resurrection, uh, I believe that both believers and non-believers, uh, their souls will be temporarily separated from their bodies. Um, those who know the Lord will be in the presence of the Lord. Those who don't will be shut out of the presence of the Lord. And then I think that at the resurrection, uh, both believers and non-believers will both be resurrected. And uh, Jesus says that those who don't know him, those those who can't call him savior, those who can't claim his his righteousness and his his sacrificial death, they will suffer eternal punishment. And um, again, I think Scripture is less clear about the details of body and soul, but I think there is reason to draw the inference that non-believers. Uh, when they suffer the wrath of God, and I would urge them to consider Jesus as Savior, you don't want to go into you don't want to go into death without a Savior, without a mediator. Um, I mean, I don't want to see God with with you know uh, you know putting my sins and, and good works side by side. I mean, um, my, I'm my life has been sinful. I want God's mercy. I want his grace. I don't want his justice. But I, I think that it, there is good reason to believe that uh, those who are separated from Christ, will they will have a union of body and soul. And, and whatever the punishment is in hell, and, and again, sometimes we're not quite sure. You know, it talks about as darkness, but then it's fire. But those are in conflict, so maybe it's a metaphor for something else. But I think that all people, uh, those who are redeemed in Christ and those who are not, will have uh, resurrected bodies united with their souls in eternity. Mm -hmm. Ken, we just have a couple of minutes left. I'd love to touch back just on the relationship between the Christian view of the soul and a discipline like psychology um, or maybe philosophy, because that's more your wheelhouse. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've I've often thought that that uh, you know whether you're whether you're reading secular psychiatrists or whether you're reading uh, Christian psychiatrists and psychologists, again, this idea of the the inner you that that to really understand you, you have to go inside. 
and there are inner motivations and, and inner realities that explain your behavior and explain, you know, who you really are. I think in, in philosophy, you know, again, this idea of reflection, that that you want to think deeply, that you want to have an inspection within. And then in, then in psychology, um, I don't know where the inner you comes from if a person doesn't have a soul, if there's not kind of an inner kind of component to it. And so I would argue that Christians have been at the forefront, both in philosophy and in psychology, because of the anthropology that we have. Mm-hmm. That Again, we're, we're a union of body and soul. There is the outer and the inner you. Ken, occasionally you make me squirm. Thank you. <laughs> well, you're, you uh, give me an opportunity to talk about things that I think are really important, and I appreciate that your, your listeners, uh, they, they want to hear it. And they they do want to hear it, and they, they listen uh, well, and they are smart. So this is why I love having you on, and I love their feedback. It works well together. Well, I'm happy to participate, and you're always generous uh, with, with your show with me, and so oh. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ken. I so appreciate you being on today and a really an interesting discussion. Have a great rest of the month. Thank you. Bye-bye. You bet. Ken Samples has been my guest. He's a philosopher and theologian. You can go to reasons.org to learn more about Ken. That is all the time we have. Thanks to all my guests, Ken Samples. I just have loved this time together with you. Looking forward to tomorrow. Have a good night, everyone. See you soon. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.